Hello and welcome to In Relation To, a show that seeks to give you insight into news developments by promoting global discourse in a changing world. Our goal with this podcast is not to scratch the surface of what is happening globally, but rather it is to dive deep and gain a better understanding of it. This podcast is brought to you by Boston University. I'm Maria, one of your hosts. Enjoy the episode. Already the 21st century had begun to put the light to the 1990s notion that America and the world had reached the end of history, a term coined by Francis Fukuyama, in which the liberal international order and increasing development would lead to ever-growing tolerance and prosperity. Yet so many events afterwards have proven this claim false, erroneous, because the Freedom of House statistical form of 2022 for the 15th consecutive year in line has disproved his claim. Indeed, according to its statistical data, authoritarian actors grew bolder, contributing to the 15th consecutive year of decline in global democracies. So, about the history of the conflict, how did we get where we are today? Well, when the Soviet Union disintegrated in the early 1990s, Ukraine, a former Soviet country, held the world's third biggest nuclear arsenal. The US and Russia worked with Ukraine to denuclearize the nation after its independence in an effort to promote peace. And in a series of diplomatic deals, Kyiv handed up hundreds of nuclear weapons to Russia in exchange for security assurances. When Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014, such guarantees were put to the test. Russia seized the Crimean Peninsula and sponsored a separatist insurrection in the eastern Donbas area, led by pro-Russian rebels. Now, as of 2022, tensions have only escalated. Russia has gone on to attack other regions in Ukraine as well, naming the process as a peacekeeping operation in spite of international condemnation. While there are many speculations about what leads Putin's actions, one being Russia's prospective desire to bolster its power in the international sphere, many speculate that it is Ukraine's orientation toward the EU and NATO that has to do with the conflict, which for Putin threatens Russia's national security. Now, along with Kriti, I'm going to discuss with you about what we believe on this issue and whether we believe that to be the real cause of Putin's actions. Hi. Um, Thank you so much for that summary, Maria. You did a wonderful job. I think it's very interesting when you bring up the EU and you bring up NATO. NATO, for whoever may not know, is the North Atlantic Treaty Association. But the catch here is that it is a US-led transatlantic association. And that's where the problem begins. So now Ukraine wants to be a part of NATO. But Russia, who has already tensions when we talk about the United States of America, does not want Ukraine to be a part of NATO because obviously Putin feels um, insecure and scared that sort of, if not a rival, then a country that Russia is having tensions with could possibly have camps situated in a country which is which they share a border with. Yes, I totally agree. And if we think that NATO members, current NATO members include Estonia, Latvia mm-hmm. and Lithuania, which are so close to Russia, we can understand quite well how this could seem like a security threat to it. But is it, I feel like the question rises, is it a valid security question? I mean, is it valid for Russia in that position with all the power that they have over Ukraine since they are an older nation to have to worry about NATO camps being situated in Ukraine? I mean, look at what what's happening right now. I totally agree with you. Although I can kind of see the other side. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the Cuban Missile Crisis? Yes. yes so, yes. yeah, I feel like it's the same thing, but now reversed. 
But then, yeah, mm. Putin has not showed willingness to adhere by international norms, mm. um, while the U.S. has done better so. So I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, but isn't it also, I mean, the reasoning, I mean, we're sitting and having this conversation. So we know that one of the reasons why this attack has taken place is because of Ukraine's association with NATO. But can we please discuss the reasoning which Putin is providing to people of why he's taken that step? Can you please talk about that? Oh my God, I couldn't agree more. Exactly. He has gone from giving an explanation of security to giving an explanation of how they share a common history and unity. And how being Russian is a civilization. It is not a nationality. And hence, there is no need for there to be a country such as Ukraine, for there to be a nationality such as Ukraine. They should all be Russians. Yes, I, I totally agree. Also, the fact that he has been so secretive of his intentions. Mm -hmm. He's basically naming this attack. Um, and this is, in my opinion, that this is an actual attack. But he's naming it um, a peacekeeping operation. Exactly. And also, I do not condone any kind of jokes being made about the situation or, you know, there being memes and things like that. But if I do put um, my ear to the ground, there was this one post I saw, which I thought made so much sense. I saw it on my Instagram, my feed. And someone was, uh, they made like a little, it was a little satire about how the US is condemning Russia's actions but it's like how a mother would condemn a child it's like if you don't do this right now I will take away your video game but the child knows that the video game is not going to be taken away so they still go ahead and do that they don't really listen and I feel like also in this situation um, it's very interesting when we look at like today as of today morning I don't know if everyone is aware of this but Russia put out a nuclear alert that means, yeah, can you believe that? Yes, I really can. And I couldn't agree with you more on the child thing. That, mm. that to me, I actually saw too. Uh -huh. um, Again, we do not condone memes being made about the situation. This is a highly sensitive topic. Yes. But again, that did, that did resonate with us. So, yeah, I think that especially the fact that this has happened before. It's not like it's the mm. first time Russia invades Ukraine. Yeah, and it has seen true. what, like, response it has gotten and it still keeps going which is kind of arbitrary in the way it shows that the other powers may not be doing enough mm. things to stop it no i mean i don't want to take this into a whole different direction but there's a lot of condemning that's taking place but there's very little action that's taking place in support of ukraine i feel like as civilians there is very little that we can do we are not in that high position we don't have that position of power. We can, you know, donate. We can provide a lot of moral, emotional support. But we cannot actually be there physically trying to help the people. That's. I think that is a fair expectation one can have from their country who can verbally support Ukraine right now. And going back to that nuclear alert thing, I feel like everyone knows that Russia is not going to partake in a nuclear explosion. That is not going to happen. But just the fact that Putin would toy around with that idea to scare people, to make Ukraine agree to a ceasefire earlier, isn't that wild? This is 2022. And this is how a president is acting. 
honestly, I don't think if that's consolating to me or not. Mm. In a way, it is consolating because it's so obvious that he's using it mm-hmm. to kind of try to scare people. It's a tactic. Yes, mm-hmm. but like as you said, if you if you're aware of what a nuclear war would mean, also for us, you know, just for the rest mm-hmm. of the world, you kind of get the idea that it's only an empty threat. It is, of course, it is an empty threat. I mean, right now he's able to. The, do the horrific things that he is doing to Ukraine because obviously it's not Ukraine's fault that country became independent and came into its own which it was still tr- struggling to do before this happened only very recently um, and they've been doing very well for the position that Russia has put them in for decades now but I mean of course the threat cannot extend uh, extend to other bigger powers like you know even the United States of America where we are right now Yes, it's it's interesting how uh, if one looks up Russia in Wikipedia, which I all urge you to do, uh, you can see that it has a lot of border tensions with mm-hmm. other neighboring countries mm-hmm. as well and former members of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. which is kind of scary. For example, in 2008, it also invaded um, Georgia, mm-hmm. but that was on the grounds of security, according to Putin. But I really liked how you mentioned why nations do not do as much and how mm-hmm. as we as civilians uh, cannot do everything in this respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting because I want ca- I kind of want to discuss what are the stakes for mm-hmm. the rest of the powers to actually do more. I mean, if we look at it from both the sides, yes, it would be fair for certain nations who are not directly involved to want to protect their own country, their own civilians. And I know this may sound too idealistic and a lot of high-collared people may listen to this and be like, no, that's not how the world works. But ultimately, it's about humanity. Mm-hmm. People in Ukraine would have never thought that in a matter of two days, we were discussing this on Friday, Maria. The situation which we saw on Friday is so different from the situation we see today. Do you think the people anticipated so much would happen in two days? No, they did not. So how can we anticipate that tomorrow it could not be us? Yes, I feel I like couldn't agree more with you. You are never in a place that is secure enough or strong enough or I would say stable enough for something like this to not happen to you. I agree. Um, the only issue I see personally is the economic issue. Mm. And that is something that, that I think has not been discussed a lot. That is very true. I mean, can Ukraine and Russia afford a war right now? I mean, it's on from Russia's side because I remember we were discussing about how with as soon as the pandemic started, even though it doesn't matter to Putin what his approval ratings are, but his approval rating was going down and people in Russia were extremely unhappy with the situation of the economy since the beginning, beginning of the pandemic. So wouldn't a war take too much toll on that country anyway right now? Yes, I agree. But it also would take a toll on Europe, right? Mm. I mean, we can see that of how delayed the action of taking Russia out of the SWIFT agreement was. Mm. So for context here, if you don't know what the SWIFT agreement is, it's basically this um, this economic deal that includes of many financial businesses and institutions worldwide. And it's a big source of money making and assets for all countries in the globe. And basically, I want to give the example of Germany who, for example, if this action, which Germany was the last to agree towards taking, it's affecting a big trade it's doing with gas. It basically takes um, the gas from Russia, which is a, a gas producer, 
producer, of course, and it sells it to other European countries with an interest rate. If it was to have to get the gas from other countries, then the fees would be up. So it would lose a lot of money uh, in this purpose. And mm. Germany has done this thing where it can, it has based, and other countries as well, they have based so much their economy on Russia, which is kind of dangerous now because yeah, yeah it, people depend on it on Germany too and other countries. But when we look at it that way, Russia is also dependent on a lot of countries for a lot of resources, as is almost every nation in the world in today's time. Right. Do they not realize what happens once, even if they completely take over Ukraine, Putin gets what he wants, you know, all of those things. Does he not realize the position it puts Russia and his own people who disagree with his action on the map? So many protests. So many protests. See, that's another kind of um, scary thing, mm. because what triggered the 2014 invasion of Ukraine was protests. Mm. I think they were termed the Euromaidan protests, mm -hmm. and they were in response um, to the president of Ukraine um, decision to not make a trade deal with Europe. So there were mass protests going on. And then after some months in 2014, Russia invaded Ukraine. So if, if there's such condemnation of his action, is this going to make him want to do more? Mm. Because we've seen that he's not a rational political actor in many senses. Because And to be very honest, he's, a, he's extremely dictatorial in yes. his mannerisms. And even the, the ideology that he's presenting to the world where, you know, we're all from the same civilization... How can you in today's time want to wipe out an entire country? He doesn't want to kill all the people in Ukraine. He doesn't want to, uh, he does not want to make the people of Ukraine, he doesn't want to make them disappear. He just wants them to lose every bit of their identity mm -hmm. and become Russian. Yes. And he terms it um, in some ways that, well, Crimea was um, mostly ethnographically Russian and there are so many Russian people in Ukraine as well and he's trying to term it in that way that basically to Russian you have to mm. give it back to us. I just find it extremely interesting because I am from India mm. right and the 1947 part like partition you know of India and the whole thing between India and Pakistan I don't mean to sort of go off topic here but I feel like this kind of conversation about, no, we stem from the same place and we should all be together. Partitions take place for a reason. Mm -hmm. Countries separate for a reason. I don't think overnight suddenly those reasons can disappear. And how can it be valid in any kind of world, even if there's a multiverse out there? How can it be valid in any of one of those multiple universes for you to wake up one fine day and be like, well, you've existed for a couple of decades now. Let me just take that away. Yes. Okay. How does that work? It's it's so obvious. It's, it's an effort to kind of bolster, mm -hmm. to kind of bring back the past. I mean, if we look at Putin, mm -hmm. Putin has been in power for 22 years. He was a KGB spy since his youth, which mm -hmm. is when the Soviet, Soviet Union was a reality. So it's so obvious that it's an effort of his to bring about the past again. And I actually wrote, I actually read this theory from um, this woman in the news where she says that this is obviously a case of superiority complex mm. because Russia is big. Russia used to have power. 
So it's history, it's size, it's prospect, in other words. It's kind of making it want to do what it's doing. So it's back to when we had the last world war. It's back to that ideology of who can be the strongest, who can stand the tallest. Like that entire chatter about this is a superpower and things like that. But on that note, I would also like our listeners to know that when we criticize the actions that Russia has taken, we're not actually criticizing the people of Russia or the country in itself. We're criticizing Putin. We're criticizing the people who make those decisions, who have chosen not to listen to their own people. Because everyone knows on social media in person that the people of Russia are not happy with the action that their country is taking right now. And who knows what repercussions they may face for their protests, right? So I think this brings us to an interesting moral question Mm -hmm. of how does this war with Putin going to affect the people in Russia? What I already Mm -hmm. know is that basically even the sanctions put into Russia have made the ruble, the, the equivalent of a dollar in Russia, fall very much in value. And that's already affecting the people there. Mm. Also, they can't ac- access I- money that are in international banks. Mm. So I can imagine them being very scared about the developments. I don't know, for a second, it almost makes me feel like, Maria, that Putin is a clever man, a negatively clever man. I feel like he has to... I mean, how can he not see the position he's putting his people and country in? And also, if we... Look at the immigrants of Russia who may be living in different places around the world. Currently, they may be first or second generation immigrants. Look at the hate that they are going to receive for something that they are not in agreement with. I know people in our university itself who are going out there, who are protesting for Ukraine, in favor of Ukraine. But I mean, ultimately, there's always going to be that person in the crowd who's going to be like, well, you're a Russian. You did this. Yes, that's true. That's that's a point that hasn't been discussed enough, but I, I think you're completely right. I mean, again, not to go off topic, but that's kind of what happened with the people of China as soon as COVID came out, didn't it? They were like, one thing happened and then all the people were blamed for it. And there was a lot of xenophobia in the air. There was a lot of racism. But I think, yeah, if we discuss the morality in this war, it brings me back to this one line I read when I was probably in 10th grade. And I don't know why that line has stuck with me. And I write about it a lot whenever we discuss war. And it's a very simple line. So it's not like you listen to it and you'll have an epiphany. But I, for some reason, did. Um, It was a sentence that went like, war has no productive potential, semicolon. It only destroys. Yes, I, I agree. And this leads me to a point I want to make. It's very... It's very based on my opinion, mm-hmm. and I think it's a more psychological perspective that I'm trying mm-hmm. to take here. But Putin is is turning seventy years old this this um, this year, mm-hmm. and I know this sounds weird and how I'm gonna tie this, but let me say that I think Putin is very, it's he's very aware of the fact that this war is not even gonna benefit his own country. I mean, that's very interesting. So, yeah, I mean, think about how he's turning 70 years old. He has been working for Russia-backed organizations, Soviet Union-backed organizations for his whole life. He, he is, it's certainly the case that he's not afraid to military invade a country. He has done so multiple times in the past, too, such mm-hmm. as with Georgia. And it just seems to me that 
this may be an effort for him to create a legacy for himself because he can't really believe that this war is going to benefit Russia in the long term because it's the second time he should be expecting that sanctions are going to be harsh. And this is a world where international trade, as you said, like, mm-hmm. it's big. I mean, when you mention it like that, it makes so much sense. It makes a whole lot of sense. But again, I feel like that brings us back to the ethics, even in a situation such as war, the motives of violence, of aggression. The number of people who inevitably are going to get hurt in this ordeal, in this exchange, the number of lives that will be lost and the number of the amount of trauma that will be caused. He can have his legacy, but it'll be a negative one for sure. Yes, yes. And I don't think he cares. That's the sad part. He just want to seem powerful. That's that's what I, I get out of the situation. But I think that closing off, because I really think that we, we had a great discussion up yeah. until now. So I think another very interesting moral question that ties into the topic and the last one that we aim to discuss today would be how, yeah, sure, Russia has been, Russia's governance has been condemned. But West's, West's um, media representation has also had a fair share of controversy in it. So I think another interesting thing to discuss is how many journalists in the West have been keen on portraying this conflict in an us-versus-them uh, way, so mm-hmm. in, in a somewhat racist way, and they mm-hmm. have been called out. So I'm going to give you one of the sentences that have been heard in West media from a news reporter. To put it bluntly, these are not refugees from Syria. These are refugees from Ukraine. They are Christian, they are white, they are very similar to us. This is such a scary claim to make in the news um, because it shows kind of that the us versus them divide Mm -hmm. also takes place when it comes to human rights. And I mean, war is going on in so many places. Exactly. And we just, something happens near to us and people are so keen on recalling human rights. But where are those people when... Everything else is going on. Are they helping all these other cases or are they just focusing on war when it's close to home? Very true. And also, why is there a comparison? Why do we need to compare the refugees from Syria to the refugees from Ukraine? Refugees are refugees. The last thing someone in that position needs or anybody in a position of trauma needs is to have their trauma compared. We don't do that anymore. This is the new century. Yes, and it's like they're saying... That, okay, we know that refugees from Syria, they have been in war in so long, so we don't pay attention to that because there's nothing we can do. But we can do something about what is happening near us. But that's not true. And it, it kind of shows how you only, the people only care about what is close to them. Why, why don't you care about what is going on? Why would things change if the refugee was from Syria and not from Ukraine? Exactly. I definitely agree with that. Well, I, it has been so lovely discussing this issue with you. I know. I think we had a wonderful conversation and I think I learned a lot from you uh, in this conversation. So thank you so much for that. And I hope that our listeners really get to think about what is actually happening in the world, the weight of it, the severity of it. And I really hope we can all reach out and help in the best way that we can. Yes, and as Kriti said to me yesterday, and I think it's important noting, 
it's very interesting in these issues to kind of try to expand our mind in morality, like take this issue and actually analyze it further than global development as news, but also translate it in a moral way for ourselves. I mean, I feel like this is more than a headline. These are people, these are people around us, these are people who could be us. And I just hope that this episode can be a reminder of that. Thank you for listening to us and see you next time. We would like to thank our podcast director, Laila Redler, Editors-in-Chief for the International Relations Review, Bridget Lang, and the Boston University International Affairs Organization. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us at inrelationto at buiaa.org.